day. It was like negative 30 out where she is from in Nebraska, and I'm just giving thanks to God that I don't live in Nebraska. So um, <laughs> thanks for being here. Um, as a church, uh, we have been going through uh, something called the New City Catechism. We went through it all last year. It was a way that we could um, encourage people in the foundations of the faith, the basics of what do we believe, what, do we, what is important, and what do we hold dear. What are the truths that we hold dear as a church? Why do we gather? What do we celebrate? And, and I'm missing the catechism already. It's already done for last year. But this year, we have some things I believe God has called us to. And hopefully you found on your seats or maybe beside you, you got a little piece of paper um, called 2024 Shared Goals. Every year, as a church, we try to focus on, Lord, what, what, what would you have us grow in as a church? You know, our, our desire as a church, or, or really our purpose as a church, is, is to make disciples of, of Jesus through our gospel-centered worship, through gospel-centered community, in gospel-centered mission. That's, that's our purpose of, as a church. It's, it's to, to make disciples of Jesus in, in, in the whole upstate here through our gospel-centered worship, our community, and our mission. And then our mission as a church is, is to be disciples. That's to be our identity is disciples of Jesus Christ, not to put our identity in other things, but to put our identity in who we are as followers of Jesus. That's our first and foremost identity. It's meant to inform every other identity, and that's our mission as a church, to be disciples. But we don't want to just be disciples. That's our identity. We want to grow. We want to continually grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. And then our desire is to not just be and grow as disciples, but to make disciples of Jesus. If we truly believe this good news, then we're going to tell other people about the good news so that they too can be transformed. That's our mission as a church. And that mission has implications for us as a church. And so when we're thinking about our goals, we're tailoring them really to, Lord, what would you have for us that would help us grow in those areas as being disciples who are growing disciples and making disciples. And so this year, kind of as a follow-on to last year, we, we have three goals we believe God is calling us to as a church, and we've gone through these goals with all of our leaders as well. And um, the first goal that we had that we're going to use as a follow-on to the New City Catechism, we want to build on that. We want to build some foundational scriptures into our church body so that they inform our minds. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says to be transformed by renewing your mind. And how we renew our mind is with the truth of God's word. And so we need to regularly get God's word in us. And so we want to focus together as a church on meditating on and then memorizing God's word. And so what we're asking everybody to do is we want you to read every Every week, we want you to, ahead of the time, read the scripture that we're going through as a church. Yes, we want to focus on our Sunday morning passages, but in addition to that, we want to, every week, read the scripture that we're going through as a church and meditate on it. Think about it. What does that mean? How does that affect how I'm living? And then what we want to do is we're going to ask you to, to memorize at least two scriptures a month. So every other week or each week, or if you want to memorize all four of them, that's awesome. So we're going to like the New City Catechism. We're going to say, hey, anybody here want to recite the memory verse? And so you can stand up. Uh, you know, you'll get a Chick-fil-A card. That's a little bit of an incentive to, to, to memorize. And, and we would love for you to get God's words because we believe that God's word is what transforms us. It's what changes our thinking. It's what changes our believing. It's what changes our actions. And so together as a church, we're going to be doing that. And then you'll notice 
notice uh, there's a little QR code in the sheet that you have. Um, you can scan that with your phone camera. If you don't know how to do that, um, there is a URL that you can find on our website. There's also a page on our website that will take you to a scripture memory verse uh, that we can go through together. It's a little tool. You can put it on your phone. There's even some helps about how to pin that to your homepage on your phone or your or your, if you have an iPad or whatever you have, if you have an Android or an Apple, whatever you've got. And then what we have, you can't really see it very well. It's going to pop up a screen here. It's got a verse set, RGC Memorize and Meditate. And then what you can do at the top, if you see it on the right-hand corner, you can sign up for that. It's not going to email you. It's not going to solicit you. It's not going to sell your name. It's just so you can sign up so you can track your progress. And then if you go to the next page, at the very bottom it says Learn, and then go to the next one. When you do, the first scripture that will pop up, it'll look kind of like that. It'll have words and blocks. And then what you can do is you can say, okay, I'm going to read through that. I'm going I'm to try to meditate on that. And then when you hit the next button, it's going to show another screen, and it's going to remove pieces of the word so that it's just a tool to help you remember God's word and help you learn to do that. And it's going to walk you through many steps of that. So it's just a tool. You don't have to use that. Um, I thought it was kind of a cool tool. I pinned it to my homepage. I'll be using that this year. But together as a church, the desire is to have God's word permeate our hearts and our minds and be the primary thing to inform and influence us instead of being informed and influenced by the world around us and by news because none of those things are good. So uh, the second goal we want to focus on for this year is investing in other people and then inviting them to learn about Jesus. And, and what we want to do is deliberately pursue, all we're asking, deliberately pursue a relationship with an unbeliever that God has placed in your life. It could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be a coworker. Just pursue a relationship with them and invest in them, care for them. Uh, and then one, once a quarter, plan out a way that you can say, hey, how can I love this person practically? How can I serve them? Maybe you go to your house, you serve them, you do stuff with them. Maybe you, you, you go out together or you take them a meal, whatever it is. Look for a way that you can invest in practically loving them just once a quarter. Um, that, that will get us headed in the right direction, thinking the right direction about, and then invite them and say, would you, would you like to hear about Jesus? I'd like to tell you about the reason that I I have for hope in life. And, and would you like to hear about that? And in, investing in them and then invite them. And then the third goal that we want to focus on, really, it, it's, the, it's the goal that underpins all that we're doing as a church. And, and really, it's the goal that's going to make everything we do as a church possible. And that's to pursue and plead in prayer. We want to pursue a deeper relating to God in prayer and then we want to pray and plead with God at least once a week. And there's, there's, there's different categories that we want to pray about. To pray for the spiritual and physical health of our children, children's ministry, singles, youth, marriages. We want you to do that. Um, our collective growth, um, our, our love for, our unity with each other. And then that God would use each of us to be his witnesses to enable us to invest and invite in other people. And so um, we are excited about this coming year, looking forward to what God has for us. And I believe that as we focus on these things, it's actually going to help us be more aware of who we are in Christ, to be disciples of Jesus. It's going to help us grow as disciples, and then it's going to help us focus on the mission that he's given to each and every person here. So um, we're excited about this. Take these little things home with you. Scan them. Put them on your refrigerator or wherever you will see them most. Uh, there's also some resources. You can print out memory cards. You can print out a list of things. If you don't like um, if you don't like online things, we'll get you a printed copy of all of the scriptures. Uh, we, we'd love to serve you in that way. But um, turn your Bibles to Luke 2. Luke 2, we are continuing in our series. We began the book of Luke 
at Christmas, but intentionally started it so that we'll continue it throughout the year because Luke often is only talked about at Christmas time. And we want to we separate the two in a sense and we say that this is not just a Christmas message. This is messages that are needed for each and every day. This is, this is the foundations of our faith that are meant to have an effect on our lives. And so that's why we're focusing on the book of Luke really through the rest of this year. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 20. And you may never have read these verses outside of Christmas Day. So listen to them as if... It's the first time. So listen, Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, for you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told them. Let's ask God for his help. Father, I pray that you would make this familiar passage alive again to us that you would affect our minds and our hearts with the familiar, Lord, that it would not be overly familiar today. God, I pray that we would see you. We would see your love for us. God, I pray that we would receive you and your gift, that we'd respond to you with the same kind of joy that the shepherds had. And God, I pray this by your Holy Spirit that you would work in each one of our hearts and minds, that, that you would do what only you can do to make us alive to you, to enable us to hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have been in some kind of romantic involvement with Julie for over 33 years. You, uh, you're probably wondering where that statement was going, so um, I've been... <laughs> 
I've been in some kind of romantic involvement with Julie for over 33 years, and I've been married for over 27 years, and each and every day, at least since we've been married, I tell her that I love her, and she tells me that she loves me, and the fact that I love her and that she has loves me, that has changed our lives, um, whether we knew it or not, it's changed our lives dramatically in a whole bunch of ways. It's been a lifelong commitment. It means we both have extended relatives and, and families that we are a part of. It means that six more people are alive on this planet because of our love for each other. And, and really, if you think about it, our love for each other has affected each and everything that we have done and do ever since we first professed our love for each other. It's had a profound effect. It's it's. It's meant something, it's resulted in something. And you know, when we first professed our love for each other, it was, it was new, it was shiny, it was bright, and both of us were kind of overflowing with joy, and it was almost a, this breathless thing, and, and it seemed like a dream, and we were excited about it, so excited that we invited other people into our life to come celebrate our love, which if you think about it, is kind of funny, but that's what you do. You invite a bunch of people that you may or may not know really well to come and celebrate your love for each other. And you spend a lot of money doing that. And it has an effect and it, it, it means something. But you know, sometimes even some of the greatest things in our lives can become routine. And sometimes I fail to be captivated. I don't want to admit this, but I fail to be captivated by the fact that my wife loves me. And sometimes I can take her love for granted. Maybe you've been married for a while and... That's you at times. I can believe that she loves me, but it doesn't wow me like it once did. It doesn't thrill me like it once did. And that's why it's good to take times to, to set aside, to be together, to cultivate relationship, to date, to um, go away together. We had a chance to go away together at a, at a Pastors and Wives retreat this past summer, and, and it was good to, to rekindle our affection for each other. And when, when we do that, I'm... Um, always affected and humbled that, that my wife would love me because I'm aware of all my, well, at least most of my flaws and weaknesses and difficulties. I'm difficult to be with. Um, I wouldn't want to be married to me. Um, you wouldn't want to either. And um, it's when I think about that, then I'm humbled by her love and I, and I love her more. And at times, if you have been a Christian for a while, or if you've heard this Luke 2 many times over, you can kind of become routine for you. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, we have a Savior. Yes, it's great joy. Yes, there's peace. But we can fail to be affected by it. And so we need to kind of rekindle our affection. We need to remind ourselves of what's true. Otherwise, we can become callous at times and hardened and skeptical and, and closed off. We've forgotten just how life-changing the truth is that we believe as Christians. And I don't think we've changed very much in that regard. The physician Luke, he, he actually wrote this book so that his benefactor, a guy named Theophilus, would have assurance and be reminded that what he's been taught is true so that he can actually respond to it. So it will have an effect on his life. And today we just read a passage that, that, that you might not have been wowed by like you once were. And yet as we reflect on it, it's meant to have an effect on us to, to rekindle our amazement that, that God would come, that he would condescend to rescue humans that had rebelled against him, that were undeserving, that were sinful in darkness, 
far from him that were his enemies, that Jesus would come. And so that's why we're refocusing on this today. And I think God wants to see us, uh, at, least, at least three important aspects from his word today, three important truths from his word. And the, and the first truth that I want us to get, that I believe God would have us get, is that, is that his good news, it, it comes through and to the lowly. It's good news that comes through and to the lowly. Yes, the passage starts off talking about somebody who's not low at all. It starts talking about Caesar Augustus. And, and if you were to ask anybody in that day and age, if you were to say, hey, who was more important than Caesar Augustus in our world? I, I, I would guess they would say no one. And maybe if I asked you, who, who is the most important person in the world today? What would you say? What would your first response be? Not the Christian response that you know is the right answer, Jesus, Right? If you ask my kids, you know, they're always going to give you the right answer because they know it's what's expected. But if I was to ask you who's the most important person in the world today, what would you say? And then why? What's the reasons behind that? What makes them important? In, in the ancient world, there was a lot of reasons to think that Caesar Augustus was the greatest, most important person. And he's actually one of the greatest figures in all of history. He was the, the grand nephew of Julius Caesar notoriously murdered, but in Caesar's will, he named Octavian, which is what his name was, he named Octavian as his heir, as his adopted son, and so he inherited the right to become Caesar. And then him and, and two other guys, Mark Antony and, and Marcus Lepidus, and not that you care about those names, this doesn't matter, but those three guys, they went and they, they killed all the assassins, they, they took over things, then there was a little feud between them, you might have heard of Mark Antony, Cleopatra, Octavian, he warred against them, he was a fighter, he was great, he conquered them, and then he proceeds to conquer most of the known world in the western world at the time, all of Europe, uh, North Africa, he was considered great. He established what they called the Pax Romana. It was a, a period of peace that lasted for hundreds of years. He built roads where roads never were. He established trade routes. He instituted a common language, a lingua franca, across most of the world so that Greek was spoken by almost every country that the Romans affected. He was a pretty amazing guy. But what he didn't know was that this most powerful ruler, he, this, this powerful emperor, he was actually doing the bidding of God. And, and, and you would think that maybe the Messiah, the Savior, would come into a palace like Caesar's, but he didn't, and he doesn't. He, he uses, instead... Caesar to, to do his bidding, to carry out his will. All of human history, God has had a plan and a purpose at just the right time to bring about the one who would rescue people from their sins. And he's not one who is like Caesar. He's one who can identify with people in their lowliness and in their sins. And that's how he comes in this passage. And he uses Caesar to have all the known world come for a census. They go to their hometowns, but he, he doesn't come as a Caesar. He comes in a way that identifies with each and every person. He identifies with the lowly. He comes to and through the lowly. And it's important because God sees those who the world doesn't recognize. He sees the lowly. He identifies with the lowly. He comes to those who are lowly in heart who realize that they need him. 
You know, think about who Mary and Joseph were. No one would have known who they were prior to this story. They were complete unknowns from a backwater town in northern Israel that was kind of written off by the rest of Israel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? They wouldn't have been known by people outside of their family, except for now they were known in Nazareth and not in a good way. You see, Joseph was betrothed to Mary. They were engaged. It was an engagement that was more formal, but they weren't yet married. They weren't together. <clears throat> and then, but it's a small town. And if, if you grew up in a small town, people in the small town, they hear about you. They hear about things. There is a gossipy network, and it was probably no different in that day. Not only were Mary and Joseph insignificant, I'm guessing the neighbors didn't believe that there was an immaculate conception. You know, Mary's parents, I wonder if they believed her. Joseph's parents, I wonder, did they believe her? And by the way, you know, when, when God calls us to things, sometimes it actually makes our life more difficult. God called Mary. He honored her in a great way, gave her the gift of a Savior inside of her, and yet it made her life really hard. I can only imagine how hard and difficult it would have been for a young girl. And she's going to her, in, in her fiancé and saying, by the way, I'm pregnant and it's the Holy Spirit. He didn't believe her. We, we know that from Scripture because Scripture tells us that he had to have a visitation from an angel because he was like, I want to put her away quietly. I love her, but I don't love her that much. I love her, but like that's an embarrassment. I love her and she's been with someone else. And yet an angel had to come and tell her the truth. It wasn't just lowly, but it was outcast that God came to. They would have been insignificant. They would have been seen as outcasts in other people's eyes. And we also know that other people later on in Jesus' life, there was insinuations. They were like, well, yeah, Jesus, sure, we know where you came from, and, and we're not, you know, we're not illegitimate. And the inference is, you are illegitimate. So this was a stigma that stayed with his family for at least 30 years. And so I wonder, as they're going down, it says they're making this trip, it would not have been normal for uh, an engaged woman to go with a man and stay overnight. Places that would have been um, looked down upon and frowned upon, it would have been discouraged, and yet they're probably going together. I'm guessing Joseph was like, I, I, I'm, I'm a little afraid for Mary. What's going to happen with her? Mary might have been wanting to get out of town as well. And so they go together. They go on this long journey. They, they go there, and yet God is with them every step of the way. And that's how he comes. He comes to those who are lowly and those who are in need. But it doesn't always make things easier. Sometimes it makes things more difficult. Sometimes it leads to the rejection of friends and family. And this unknown couple, though, they're traveling there because God is ordaining every step that they're taking. He's moving all of world history and then he's not sending his savior to those who are considered impressive. You know, often we think of people who are impressive in our eyes and like they have it all together, they have it made and, and that's the goal. And God's like, that's not the goal. He didn't send his son to be born to powerful, to, to wise, to rich, to famous people. He sent him to be born to these obscure people who were experiencing shame. They were outcasts. And it's important for us to see because God doesn't overlook us in our shame. 
He doesn't reject us in our shame. He doesn't ignore us in our lowliness, no matter how unseen you are. He doesn't just care about the famous. He cares about the ordinary and the lowly. And so they go. They go to be registered, he says, with Mary as betrothed, with a child. They resolved to go down together. And then it says, you know, the, the time, while they were there, the, the time came for her to give birth. You know, I, not only would the, the leading up to it have been very difficult, but when you're there in a, in a different village, in a different place, and maybe, maybe they were looking, so there's no room for them in the end. They're looking for a place to stay. I can just imagine Joseph knocking on the doors of different inns, different places to stay, different relatives. He had relatives in this town. This is where he was from. Uh, maybe he had great aunts, uncles, cousins in the town. He's knocking on the door. He's like, hey, can we have a place to stay? They're like, oh, Joseph. He's like, yeah, this is my fiance. They look down. They see your belly. They're like, no, I'm good. And, and she has nowhere to stay. You know, most people wouldn't have been unwilling in that day to take in a man and his unwed fiance who was pregnant. For whatever reason, it says while they were there, time came to give birth, and she gave birth, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she lays him in a feeding trough because there was no place for them in the end. There was no place. There was no guest chamber. It was scandalous. There was no place for them to stay. Implication is they they definitely didn't get special treatment at least. They didn't have any private, they didn't have any comfy birthing suite. There was no room for them. You know, when, when Jesus comes, will we make room for him? When he comes to us, is there room for him in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives? We don't, we don't read of anybody throwing Mary a baby shower. It's what's not there that's also interesting. We don't read of her being showered with gifts and supplying what they need. Nobody's giving her a crib. Nobody's giving her a pack and play or whatever the equivalent would have been in that day. No, he was born in lowly conditions to outcasts. And, and then we know that they were poor, not only because they laid him in a manger, but because in, in, in verse 24 of the chapter, it tells us that they went to the temple after his time was up to dedicate him, and then their offering was actually what the poor person's offering was. It should have been a sheep. If it wasn't a sheep, then... Then it's supposed to be doves or pigeons. And then so they're giving the, the poor person's offering. And the swaddling clothes, I don't think there's significance in that except to show that, that it was just like every other human baby. You know, when we, when we had kids, one of the first things that my mom taught us to do was to, to wrap them really tight because they kind of hit their own faces with their hands. They wake themselves up, and it's just a sign, really, that, that Mary was caring for Jesus, that she cared for him personally and the interesting thing though is that there was nobody else there to wrap him she was wrapping him in swaddling clothes she was caring for him Jesus came into humble circumstances he needed care he identified with being in need in every way and then he was placed in in really what would seem offensive to us you know if you came to our house uh, to celebrate the birth of our baby and you saw that I had put our baby in a pig's trough where the animals had just fed. You, you'd probably be a little put off by that. This was a lowly thing, but they didn't have anywhere else to lay him. And they laid him into the dirt and dust of the ground. 
And, and if, if Mary's birth was like most women's births, this probably was not this, main, this, not this nativity scene that was all nice and pretty and, and pristine. This was in normal, very difficult conditions that the Savior was given. And it's probably not what you would expect where the Savior of the world would be born would be through the lowly, through the lowly. And yet the king of all creation, he was laid in a manger. He humbled himself from the very beginning. His, his very beginning of Jesus' life was in humility so that he could identify with every one of us in every way, in every circumstance. There's not a circumstance that Jesus doesn't get, that he doesn't understand. And then his birth, it tells us, is announced to, to not to Herod, to the people you would expect, not to the upper class, not to the ruling class, not to the religious elite, not to the Pharisees, not to um, whoever it was who was in charge in the town, not the mayor of Bethlehem. His birth was announced to normal, maybe bottom-rung normal, everyday people. And the second truth we're meant to see is that it's good news that it's not just comes to those who are low, through those who are low, but also it's for the lowly. It's good news to and for those who are low. When you think of today an average Joe kind of profession, maybe on the bottom of the average Joe professions, or maybe if you think of a profession that you wouldn't want to have, then you might be close to thinking about the profession of shepherds. It's, it's not a profession that people are like, when I grow up, I'm definitely going to be a shepherd. I want to be outside, hot, cold, depending on the weather, you know, when it's raining. You know, I want to be out there with a bunch of sheep. That's my dream. It wasn't what they dreamed of. This isn't the romanticized thing of cowboys today. There's a lot of shows that are all about this romantic notion of cowboys and, and how, you know, there are these great... The, the shepherds were not idealized. They were generally from the lower class. It was the job that didn't take a lot of skill. These were the unskilled workers of the day. They, they weren't social influencers. They weren't elite. They weren't powerful. They weren't popular. In fact, people probably thought they were a little weird and they probably smelled pretty bad. But they were protectors. They cared for animals. They were difficult. It was still a noble profession, even though it was a lowly one. And, and they're in darkness in the middle of the night. He didn't have to uh, send the angels to announce things in, in, in the middle of the night, but I believe it was in the middle of the night because God wanted to communicate that that's how he comes. He comes in our darkest moments when we can't see. And he sends the angels in the middle of the night, and these shepherds are keeping their watch over their flock, and it says just one angel at first appeared to them, and it scared the heck out of them. It says they were filled with fear. Meaning like they were filled up all the way. Every part of them was scared. These guys who fended off wolves and all kinds of beasts and robbers from sheep, they were terrified with one angel. And God lights up the darkness, but he didn't make them afraid because he wanted to leave them there. They needed to see that God was sending a Savior to them. And so he, he sends this Savior this, this angel to them, and this angel is in the middle of darkness, and he says, fear not. So the first thing he says, fear not. He says, I, I bring you 
good news. That, that word for good news, by the way, it's the same word that the, the book of Luke will be later called, the gospel of Luke, the, the good news of Luke, or the evangelion. It's, it's the same word that will be used for when Jesus talks about proclaiming the gospel, this good news. And so the angel says, I'm coming and I'm bringing you good news. I'm coming and I'm bringing gospel to you. By the way, that's why we, we're a gospel-centered church. We're a good news-centered church because that's where really the whole Bible is centered on. He says, I'm bringing you good news. He says, it's a great joy that's available for all people. He, he wasn't bringing good news just for a select few. He wasn't bringing good news to those who are deserving or privileged. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling like, this good news really isn't for me. I don't deserve it. I'm not impressive. In fact, I'm aware that I, I don't deserve his goodness. I don't deserve his kindness. I've done all kinds of bad things. I've made mistakes. I've had issues. But the angels came to people who needed it, who weren't deserving. It's for undeserving people. It's for all people. It's good news. You would have expected the birth announcement to be, you know, this is good news to the parents. Here's the parents. But no, he says it's good news for all people. It's good news for each, each and every person here. It's for all people, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter whether you are young or old, whether you are rich or poor, no matter what your background is, your ethnicity is, this is good news for all people that all people need. He says it's good news of a Savior. You might wonder, why was it important? What did they need to be saved from? You see, the, the Israelites, they've been called as God's chosen people, but yet they were in the middle of being ruled by the Romans. Life was dismal, but that's not what they need to be saved from. They need to be saved from the fact that that was a consequence, really, of the fact they disobeyed God, and so God gave them over to, to be ruled by other people, and that was really most of Israel history because they couldn't ever get it right. They couldn't ever obey God faithfully. They couldn't ever fulfill the law live up to what God had told them to do, they were continually unfaithful. And they need to be rescued from that brutal cycle. We do too. They need to be rescued from the fact that, that not only were they born into sin, but they had added their own disobedience to God. They defended their God, their maker, their creator. There was no longer peace in their lives. There wasn't joy in their life. And Yes, they experienced moments of happiness, but there wasn't lasting peace. And so he sends good news, a great joy of a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He, he's the one, he says, he is in the city of David. He's the one who's promised to come in Malachi 2. He's the one who was promised would come, who would sit on God's throne forever. He is not just the chosen child, he's the savior, he's the Christ, he's what that name means is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that God had promised from the very beginning when he first punished Adam and Eve for their sins and he says, there will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. This is the one who has come, the chosen one, he's Christ. But not only that, this this chosen one, he's the savior, but he's not only the savior, the chosen one, the one who is the fulfillment of all of history, he's also the Lord. He is God himself. God's not distant, he comes to the lowly. He says, and this will be a sign. 
the sign wasn't the swaddling clothes, but the sign was the fact that he was being cared for, but he was laid in a manger. That would have been unusual. And then he says, suddenly there explodes this multitude of the heavenly hosts. I can't imagine how terrifying that must have been. If one was scary, imagine a whole army of warrior angels appearing in the sky Countless numbers, and yet they burst onto the scene after this announcement of his Savior because it is good news, the greatest news ever. And they say glory to God in the highest because he didn't just stay high, he came low. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's good news that we would have peace with God through a Savior. That Jesus came to actually make a way that we would have peace with God. And, 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 and who is this with whom he is pleased? Because, you know, if you have had those little cards at Christmas time, those little cutesy Christmas cards, you know, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, it, it, it's, that's a shortening, really, good toward, goodwill towards those with whom he is pleased, peace towards those with whom he's pleased. And, and, and you have to ask, who is God pleased with? He's pleased with all those who recognize their need for him, who receive him, who respond to him, who believe that they need to be saved and respond to him that way, put their trust, their faith in him. That's how we receive peace. Jesus came to give us peace. How? By living a perfect life that we could not live. It's the kind of life that he first commanded Adam and Eve to live that they couldn't live. And so Jesus came to live a perfect life. He humbled himself in every way he was like us. He said no to sin in every way. And then not only that, we know Jesus didn't just come to be lowly. He came to be exalted onto a cross. Really the place of of ultimate shame to bear our shame, to take our sins so that we can have peace with him. That's astounding. Peace on earth. You can have peace with God today. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and put your faith in him, you have peace. God is not angry. He's not, you have nothing to fear. You have access into the throne of grace You can have peace with God, reconciliation with God, made adopted children, sons and daughters, heirs of God, loved, never alone, forgiven by God, have all your shame removed, no guilt. And remembering this, it's meant to have an effect. It's meant to have an effect on us, to see that he gives us good news, a great joy that's it's peace for us. And, and the third thing I think God would have us see, the last thing is that it's good news that gives the lowly joy. It gives the lowly joy. These shepherds, it gave them joy. They responded immediately. It says, when angels went away from heaven, the shepherds said, let's go over and, and find this thing that the Lord has made known to us. And so they go around looking. I can just imagine they're walking around the neighborhood. They go into town, and I don't know what time of night it is, but it's dark. People are probably already in for the evening. It's cold. It's dark. They're walking around. They're knocking on doors like, hey, is there a baby in the house? People would be like, uh, why are you asking? Well, we saw some angels, and they said there was going to be a baby. You do have a baby? Is your baby in a manger? They'd be like, no. Like, then they hurry on to the next door. I can only imagine the chaos that would have caused these shepherds. He didn't tell them where to look. He just told them what to look for. So they're going around this little village of Bethlehem, there's probably only like 100, 
homes probably at the time. They're going around door to door probably asking where this baby is who's born in a manger, getting the weirdest looks, causing a stir, a commotion. And then they, they go and they find Mary and Joseph and then they find this baby in a manger just like they'd been told. And then when they found it, they didn't stay quiet. They didn't, they didn't keep it to themselves. It said they spread the word. They made known the saying. I, I wonder, did they go back around each and every door knocking on the door saying, hey, by the way, we got some really good news. We got great news. And we got to tell you about it. It's pretty awesome. Remember we were asking about that baby, kind of weird. Um, in, in the manger, this angel came and he told us about it. And we found him. And it's Christ, the Lord, a Savior, the one promised from days of old. This is the answer to all of our prayers and needs and hopes. And they spread the good news. They couldn't keep it to themselves. They made sure everyone knew about it. There's a response. It was, it was gave joy to the lowly. It gave joy to the lowly. Now, you don't have to be poor. You don't have to be a shepherd to receive joy. But, but we do come to him humbling ourselves, admitting that we need him, confessing that we're low, that we, we need his forgiveness, that we've rebelled against him, that we want him to make us new, to give us hope and joy and, and peace in this life. Because without him, we have no peace God gives joy to all who are lowly. And there's responses you see. They see the shepherds. They actually believe. They receive. They respond. They take action. They share with other people. And they, it results and they have great joy. The people they tell, says a lot of them wondered. We don't know how they responded. Mary, she might not have responded right away. And that since she treasured them up in her heart, and she thought about it. What does this mean? And maybe you're in one of those places. You're wondering and you're thinking, I'm not sure I believe this. I'm not sure about that. You can be sure you can have peace and joy by coming to him who was low in a lowly way and asking him to save you. Mary's treasuring these things up. Later on, we know that Mary struggled with some of what Jesus did. And they're going, Mary and his sisters and his brother, they go to him and they say, Jesus, would you kind of come out here? You're being a little weird. Got this Messiah complex. <laughs> Later, though, we see that she not only knew who he was, but she runs and she, she's one of the first ones she, to receive this good news of great joy for all people. In the end, the shepherds, they go back to their sheep, but look at their response. Here's the result of the lowly receiving this good news says the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. They were excited because they knew the truth. They knew that all they'd heard and seen was just as what it had been told them. That's true for each and every one of us here. Um, all that we've heard and seen, all that we will hear and see through the book of Luke, it's just as you've been told and it's meant to give you joy and peace in believing. It's meant to help us rekindle and be in all of what we received to rekindle our joy. You know, all of humanity is impacted by this news of Jesus, this, this good news that's preached to those who are poor in spirit, this good news that's preached to all those who are outcasts, all those who feel like they don't belong, all those in the dark of night, good news, a son is given. And he comes to all those who are poor and lowly, 
and this good news of great joy. Are, are you amazed that you no longer bear shame before God if you're a believer? That God has adopted you as a son and a daughter? You need to tell yourself that every day. No more guilt. Yeah, we still mess up. We're not better than other people as Christians. We're just forgiven. And we have hope. And we have life. And he makes us new. He enables us to grow. No more fear. We're not outcasts any longer. We belong. We've been adopted, accepted by him. We have a future and a hope no matter what. Don't take that for granted. It's good news that calls for a response, but what will your response be? Will it be like those who wondered? Will it be, will you think about it, or will you respond? You know, when I was first in love with Julie, I, I, I couldn't help but tell everybody about my love. When you first became a Christian, you were excited. I think God means for us to recapture that. This good news of great joy, the greatest love, that God would send his own son to come and rescue us. Let's pray. God, thank you that you didn't leave us in darkness. You didn't leave us alone. You didn't leave us 